hoping that that this will spur other conversations and also spur more research and reflecting on what we can do to support educators and policymakers in order to improve public education in Colorado. Welcome to this episode of the Keynotes Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Chavez. Thank you for listening, and I hope you and your family are doing well as our nation continues to grapple with this current surge of COVID-19 cases spurred by the Omicron variant. At the start of the new year, I'm sure that many parents were monitoring discussions about additional potential disruptions to our children's education in 2022 due to that Omicron surge. Many school districts, such as the one my kids attend, decided to continue to have kids attend school in person, while others opted for a temporary virtual option. If you're an avid listener, you know that education during COVID-19 has been a topic of focus in the first year of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, I recommend you listen to our episodes on the Education Leadership Council, the work we have been doing among the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, and the Education System Resilience and Innovation Initiative. With us unfortunately entering the third year of this pandemic, we are now able to gather and analyze data on the impact of COVID-19 on education in Colorado particularly the impact the in-person disruption had on our students. Keystone conducted a study last year analyzing what data we had available to analyze the pandemic's impact. Some findings may surprise you, some may not, but one thing is for sure. There is a lot more we can do to get a better understanding of how our education system is functioning, particularly when faced with a significant disruption. Last year, Keystone was thrilled to welcome Van Scholes as a senior policy director in our Center for Education Policy. Van is a highly regarded expert on education policy due to a career as both a practitioner and leader of public district and public charter schools. He's also a groundbreaking analyst of education data. I was trained as a scientist and I was a high school science teacher and then um, later an administrator, and then got involved in research and policy work in education. And so at the core of my work is really science, sort of trying to understand um, what's happening, why it's happening, and then as it relates to improving public education, what can be done to improve it? And, and what's the data? What do we know? And what sort of hypotheses might we have about what's happening and then investigating those and and trying to figure out you know what to do in terms of making change. One of the first projects Van led for Keystone was the gathering and analysis of data assessing education in Colorado in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. The data revealed critical gaps in student learning across the state but also indicated potential bright spots. The analysis was compiled in a report called Colorado's Missing Year. In this report, um, we found huge variations both in participation in, in CMAS or state tests and the SAT, and we also found huge variation in how kids did. Um, and it varied by geography and it varied by student demographics. So there was, there was big, big ranges and in almost every category, um, much larger ranges than has happened ever in terms of, which is not surprising given the pandemic and its incredibly huge impact on, on 
how public education is provided. The report analyzes the results of the state's mandated assessments, the Colorado Measures of Academic Standards, also known as CMAS, and the Colorado PSAT and SAT. I encourage you to download the full report on our website at keystone.org slash missingyear. In addition to the report, we also published a set of interactive maps detailing the district-by-district student performance, participation, and demographics based on the data in the report. But before you head over to our website to dive into the report, let me give you a few high-level findings. First, there was a substantial decline in assessment participation rates across the state, as well as high variability in participation rates. The participation rates ranged from below 10% in some districts, while others had 100% participation. There were also fewer assessments given in 2021, providing less assessment data overall compared to earlier years. Now, it should be noted that Colorado was among many states that paused assessment tests, which has in some cases limited the public data available. Statewide fifth grade literacy performance declined slightly from 48.4% of students meeting or exceeding expectations in 2019 to 47.2% of students in 2021. However, the declines in fourth grade math were far greater. 35.7% of fourth graders met or exceeded expectations in 2019, while only 28.5% did so in 2021. SAT performance told a different story though. 11th grade SAT scores actually increased from 2019 to 2021, with 60% of 11th graders meeting or exceeding expectations in literacy and 36.4% in math. While changes in reporting make a direct comparison from 2019 to 2021 challenging, it does show that not every finding was negative. Here's Van. It's also interesting because there is massive variability. So, so those drops in participation, you know, they're not universal. In fact, the uniformity um, in past years around either participation or variation on, on performance was much smaller than we've seen here which would suggest, and if we hold the demographic, student demographic constant, which would suggest that there were very different sort of reactions to addressing um, learning during COVID by different schools and different districts, which um, again suggests that there might be something to be learned from those places that seem to have um, kids, more kids participating and also more kids doing better in terms of their growth relative to previous years, because we do see um, we do see a lot of bright spots. So it's not just um, I would say doom and gloom, and it's also really important to understand where there is um, you know huge losses, which there are learning losses, and what and how to provide the right kinds of resources and supports to those kids. Just think about what educators accomplished this year, while the world was navigating a global pandemic. Most school systems across the country basically on the fly shifted to a virtual model. As any student, parent, or teacher will tell you, it wasn't perfect, but the resiliency displayed by students and teachers was heroic. That is a message Rob Stein, the superintendent of the Roaring Fork School District, wants to make sure is heard. I take exception to the notion of a missing year um, because it neglects all the ways in which this has been the last year. Has, was a fantastic year in terms of students developing resiliency, um, uh, us as a society recommitting to our belief in schooling and kids being in school and the importance of that. 
Um, and, and I'm optimistic that kids who are in school now will look back on this in 20 years as a formative moment, not unlike a World War experience, where I'm sure there was a lot of interrupted learning during World War II. Uh, uh, many of aspects of society came to a halt. Um, it was a huge um, generator of ingenuity and positive growth for our nation as well. And this may very well prove to be that. So some of the things that kids did develop during the past year, I don't want to undersell those. As I mentioned earlier, the data paints a revealing picture of student participation and achievement during the pandemic. But the data is limited. It is confined to standardized tests, which, Rob argues, provides the wrong incentives for both teachers and students. Instead, the assessment data should be more diagnostic. Yeah, I mean, when I go to the doctor, I get some tests, right? And I feel impatient if I have to wait two days to get my blood work back to see if my cholesterol levels are out of control. But then the doctor goes over it with me and says, you know what, you were a little high in cholesterol. You need to change your behavior. Um, it's not an accountability conversation. It's a diagnostic conversation that helps me improve my health. And we need diagnostic conversations around student assessment data that helps students improve their learning. Um, you know, I'm a I'm an adult, not a child. I'm not saying that teachers shouldn't hold account students accountable for learning, but we've created a punitive model that forgets that the core of this is the is the health of the, the, the learning in this case of the individual student. Van offers a similar sentiment, although perhaps framed a little differently. He believes that both quantitative and qualitative data are required to make the necessary steps forward in analyzing education. Quantitative data is super important, like test data, but so is qualitative data. Following certain lines of um, quantitative data can sometimes be misleading. And so, um, so we also have to be really careful in education to sort of triangulate around trying to understand, for instance, the culture of schools or the culture of school districts, which sometimes, you know, can be seen in some quantitative data, but sometimes um, really can't be known, if you will. It can give you some hints or clues, and sometimes it can be misleading too. So it has to be, it's really important that, that folks double and triple and look at different angles on different things in order to try and understand and talk to people. Because um, teachers certainly, and administrators and kids and families um, also have really important insights. In looking to the future, both Van and Rob argue that there needs to be more data available, not just on student testing, but on population, measurements on what programs are working, and other points of assessment. Rob believes that we should follow a model that we see in public health rather than what we've been doing in education. We need population data, too. We need to know things like, are certain programs more effective than other programs? Let's try this new reading program. We want population data. If this reading program is getting better outcomes than that reading program, and that also is how it works in public health. You know, there's various vaccines now in the marketplace, and they have different le levels of efficacy. We know that because we have big data. Um, and some of them are, you know, not effective enough to continue using. We need similar population data in education. Again, though, it's not an accountability system. It's, it's a public health, and we need a public education data system that doesn't put accountability as, as its core because that's just corrupt. Perhaps the ultimate goal of this report is to provide policymakers the necessary information required to make education policy decisions that best serve our students. However, even if or when student assessment is refined, 
The report also spurs a much-needed discussion on transparency, and that is where policymakers can really make a difference in analyzing the education system now. Van further explains. I think that this report, along with lots of other reports, so this isn't the first one that raises questions, for instance, around transparency. Like, what do families know? What do policymakers know about how schools and school districts are doing? And again, and in this case, you know, I would say it's less about sort of, if you will, punishment. It's more about trying to figure out sort of who's doing well and what can we learn from that? And also where, where, for example, there need to be, you know, resources shifted or, or new resources found in order to provide those supports. This report and, and sort of some of the policy discussions over the last several years have raised sort of this challenge where we have accountability systems and the accountability systems, um, part of them is to provide transparency and part of them is to provide resources and or sort of consequences for low performing schools. And I think part of the challenge that we're increasingly seeing is because of those accountability things, we may have some transparency, but it's also in some ways providing perverse incentives for folks. So there's a little bit less transparency on things that, you know, the state doesn't make school districts provide, which I think is hugely problematic. Um, if we're focused on improving things. We need to have a policy space that encourages transparency and data sharing so that we can get better, not one that sort of puts a thumb on people and tries to make them get better. We know that doesn't work in any sector. This data makes clear there is much work to be done in Colorado to ensure students are mastering the information needed and that the pandemic has exacerbated many of the gaps historically seen across the state. Additionally, it is evident that as a state, Colorado must recommit to the value of data and transparency in order to make an informed decision about how to best serve the needs of the students. This analysis merely scratches the surface, and there are many more questions to explore as part of the work to improve academic outcomes. But one thing is for sure, you know Keystone will be there every step of the way. is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. This episode has been made possible by a contribution from the Denver Foundation. If you would like to offer feedback about the podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at mchavez at keystone.org. That's M-C-H-A-V-E-Z at keystone.org. If you would like to learn more about the Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org.